Someone in Isaiah chapter 61, that's on page 620 in your ESV Bible, in many ESV versions. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're driving towards the mountains, it's always a, a wonderful and thrilling sight when you see them, isn't it? You see the foothills, and then in the distance you see the mountains, and sometimes you see different peaks, and they kind of all look to be in the same line. And yet, when you come closer, sometimes you realize that from a distance, what looked like to be a bunch of mountains next to each other is actually a bunch of mountains behind each other. As you come closer, you see that you come to the first one, and then the others are further away and so on. And that's a little bit how prophecy in the Scripture works. In the Scriptures, the prophecies have a bunch, they have a depth to them in terms of fulfillment. The prophecies of the prophets in the Old Testament have an immediate uh, fulfillment, sometimes in the life of the prophet or shortly afterwards. Then they have a deeper, more uh, long-term fulfillment in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he was born, when he was made flesh, and then they often pull through to the, the very end and have a fulfillment at the consummation of all things. And that's the case with our text this morning as well. Isaiah, he's a prophet prophesying about 200 years before the return from exile, more than 100 years before the exile itself, and he's already prophesying about the return, about the restoration, starting in Isaiah chapter 40, there are just wonderful and glorious promises of hope and restoration and salvation from a catastrophe and a judgment which will still happen in the future. Even before God visits his people with judgment, he's already preaching to them comfort and restoration. That's who God is. And so in Isaiah 64, we've looked at a few verses from Isaiah over the last few weeks. In Isaiah 64, we we hear of the, the longing of God's people that he would come, that he would intervene in this world, that he would intervene in the suffering of his people, that he would rend the heavens and come down. And then there are those powerful words in Isaiah chapter 40 that we saw last week, those words of comfort and that promise that he will come as a good shepherd to destroy the enemies of the people of God and gently lead his flock back home. And today we look at the first verses in Isaiah 61. And the prophet is speaking of a time in the future when God's servant will proclaim an end to the captivity, to the exile, that God will turn the groans of his afflicted people into praise, their mourning into dancing, that he will loose their sackcloth and clothe them with gladness. And so our text begins, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And you remember that Lord in, in all capital letters is 
Behind that is the Greek or the Hebrew word Yahweh, the, the, the name of the God of the covenant, the God who keeps his promises, the God who is there for his people, who loves his people. And then Elohim, the God who is almighty, all-powerful, the king of kings and sovereign over the universe. This is the same God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. And his spirit is upon his servant. Why? Well, if you look at the text, see that important word, because. Why is the spirit of the Lord God upon the servant of, God, of the Lord? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Yahweh has anointed him. Yahweh has commissioned him. The Lord has called him to an office. And when the Lord calls, he equips. When the Lord ordains you to an office, he comes upon you with the power of his Holy Spirit. Only in that power can any office bearer do their work. And that's true of the Old Testament prophets and priests and kings. It's true of uh, every office bearer today, whether it's the special offices in the church or whether it's your office as mother or father or whatever other office you have in church, family, or society. And it's true of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As the fully human mediator, he did the work of his mediatorial office in the power of the Spirit. Just before the words that we read in Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus had received the unction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been poured out upon him there at his baptism by John. And so the servant of the Lord has an office. He has a calling. And because he's being called to that calling, the power of God is upon him to do that calling. And his calling is to preach, to proclaim good news to the poor. Now that word poor in our text doesn't mean only people that don't have a lot of money. But it is a word used often, especially in the book of Psalms, to describe those who are afflicted and lowly and humble, those who are crushed by enemies and by circumstances, those who are crushed by the pain of this fallen, sinful creation, crushed by the sins of others against them, oppressing them and hurting them, and abusing them, crushed even by their own sins. These are what Jesus calls in the New Testament Beatitudes. These are the poor in spirit, and they are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to them, the gospel is preached. The servant of the Lord has been appointed and anointed the power of the Spirit of God is upon him to preach good news to the poor. Not to the self-satisfied. Not to the comfortable. Not to the people quite at home in exile there in Babylon. You know, when the return happened, a lot of God's people weren't interested in going back. It was too far. It was too dangerous a journey. It's too much trouble, too many uncertainties. It was too devastated and ruined out there. We've got a life, a comfortable life here. It's a questionable return on investment. 
to leave the comfortable life here in Babylon, far away from the promised land. We've put down roots here. Life is good. And so for many, there was no longing to return to the land of promise because it cost too much. There was no motivation to return to help to rebuild the land and rebuild the temple and restore the worship of God. And the gospel does not come to them because they have their reward. They have the desires of their heart. They have gained the world at the cost of losing their soul. But the gospel is brought to the poor. It is brought to the brokenhearted, literally the brokenhearted, Psalm 137 is a well-known psalm of the exiles in Babylon by the, by the rivers of Babylon. We hung up our lyres because our captors required from us the songs of Zion. And then the psalmist says in that psalm, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, O Jerusalem. You know what he's saying? He's saying, give me a heart attack if I forget God's land and God's city and God's temple, and God's people, and God's worship. Because the prosperity of Jerusalem is dear to the believer's heart. And they are heartbroken that the land is empty, and that Jerusalem is in ruins, and that the temple is destroyed. And they weep there in Babylon. And God's servant is anointed to preach the good news to those poor and afflicted, to bandage up those brokenhearted. That's what it means, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bandage them up. These hearts are broken. God says to his servant, you wrap that in a, in a bandage and, and let it begin to heal. Make it all better. Right, kids? When you've got a, an owie and mommy puts a Band-Aid on it and she says, there, it's going to be all better. And it feels good, doesn't it? That's what the Lord does to our hearts. Because the prison which locks them away from the promised land will be opened. And that oppression of guilt and sin which binds the people of God and for which they have been judged, that oppression will be loosed. And he has declared that in Isaiah chapter 40, has he not? De proclaim to Jerusalem, declare to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. It's all done. And so he can proclaim, he can proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what he's referring to there? The year of the Lord's favor. You remember the Old Testament law? You had the weekly Sabbath. You had every seven years, you had a special sabbatical year. And every 50 years, you had the year of Jubilee. I don't think Israel ever did that, sadly. Such a beautiful year that was ordained by God in the law. I don't think they ever got to celebrating it. They were too busy sinning and rebelling against God. But it was the year after seven sevens. The fiftieth year was a day of, of was a year of, of relief. It was a year of forgiveness of all debts, a release from bondage and servitude. If you had to sell yourself into as a servant, you, you could be free now, and your debts were paid, and the family lands that you had lost would be restored. 
It was a year of relief and joy and healing and freedom and a new start. And the servant of the Lord proclaims that that year is near for God's people, a year of freedom and a new start. And together with that, the day of vengeance of our God. You remember, salvation always comes with judgment. You can't have one without the other. But look at the time periods here in verse 2. It is the year of God's favor. It is the day of God's vengeance. You remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 30, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Yes, enemies will be judged and destroyed, but that is not the main thing. God will dispatch his enemies quickly. He'll get that out of the way because his main focus is on the joy of salvation for his people. That's the main thing. And so the gospel comes to comfort all who mourn. You remember again Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort ye my people. Speak ye peace, thus saith our God. The gospel comes to comfort those who mourn. And again, it is not a message for those who are comfortable in their exile and their sin. The gospel comes to those who are uncomfortable. No matter how much wealth and ease they have at present, they're not comfortable. It is not well. They long for God to appear. And they long for God to take them back home. And they would give up everything just to see him and to see his salvation. And so the first depth or the first mountain we reach in this fulfillment of this prophecy is the people in the return from the exile. But there's a deeper and a more fuller fulfillment of this prophecy in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's difficult as we read the Old Testament to say, well, how can we pull this through and, and see how this points to the Lord Jesus Christ? And sometimes it's very easy. And today it's very easy because the Lord Jesus himself reads our text and says, this is happening today in this synagogue. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. Now, when we read Luke chapter 4, if you just scanned up in that chapter, you would notice that Luke chapter 4 mentions the, the baptism of the Lord Jesus. So it's just after his baptism. And if you look there in Luke 4, verse 14, it says that after his baptism, when the, the anointing spirit descended upon him to empower him, to commission him, to ordain him to his office as Messiah, then Luke 4, 14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and in the power of the Spirit, he goes into that synagogue and he reads our text. And he preaches the gospel in his ministry here on earth. He preaches comfort to those who sit in darkness, mourning under sorrow's load. He's preaching to God's people. They're in their own land. They're in the promised land. But even there, 
They might as well be in exile. They're under the oppression of the Romans. They're subjected, subjugated, but worse. They're in bondage to sin because worship in God's people has become cold and outward and formalistic and just kind of routine rituals, legalistic worship. They have the form of religion denying the power. And some people are very comfortable with that because they're making a comfortable living off that. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they are rich, and they love money, and they're comfortable, and they're happy with the way things are. Jesus comes and preaches good news to the faithful. Those who are afflicted, those who grieve, those who cannot feel at home in the present situation, those who long for the restoration of true living worship, who long for the appearing of the Messiah. And Jesus makes his own message come true. He says it, and he makes it happen because he's God. And so he released people from bondage to crippling disease. He released people from bondage to evil spirits. He set them free. He released people from the prison of death itself as he raised up the dead. And then he triumphed over all the powers of darkness and the cross and the tombs broke open and the saints were released from the bonds of death at his resurrection. And these are just signs of things to come. That death itself has been conquered, that it cannot hold onto the children of God because they are free in Christ. You know, for all the glorious miracles that the Lord Jesus worked when he was here on earth, it was just a tiny number of people that he reached with those miracles, a tiny percentage of the people back then, a tiny percentage of the world's population. But now, the risen and the conquering and the sovereign and the ruling Lord Jesus Christ is scaling things up. As he ascended to the throne, he sent preachers into all the world, and the Spirit of the Lord God is upon them. He poured out the Spirit there on Pentecost to empower the church to, to preach the gospel to all the nations and to let freedom ring. For freedom, Christ has set us free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That is the message. That is the message that the church has for all sinners. Is this message for you? Well, it's not for you if you're comfortable and self-satisfied in your sins and quite at home in the world. If you're comfortable with a facade of Christianity, even if it's Reformed Christianity, very, very orthodox Christianity, but if it's just a facade, if it's just one more thing in your life, it's kind of a cultural expression that you just have. Then this message of comfort is not for you. Then there is only the day of vengeance and only the fearful expectation of judgment. There is no good news for those who are comfortable in their sin. But if you are poor and afflicted and brokenhearted, if you're oppressed by sin 
in the world and sin in your life, and if you're longing for the restoration of perfect worship and the day when all things will be made new, then blessed are you. Blessed is he who has his helper, Jacob's God, and hopes in him. Because the oppressed will see God's justice and the captives he sets free. But child of God, he sees you. He sees you in your affliction. He sees you in the pain which binds you. He sees you in your struggle with the slavery of addiction. He sees you as you struggle with mental health and the walls seem to close in on you and and you can't see any way out and you can't bear it. He sees you as you feel oppressed by your sinfulness and long for perfect holiness. He sees you as you feel trapped in the limitations and disabilities of your own body as it breaks down and ages and decays. And he sets you free. He sets you free right here and right now. He sets you free with the gospel of freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ so that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter if the mountains are removed from their place and cast into the depth of the sea, yet we have refuge and safety and peace in God and in Christ. It's like we sang in Psalm 3, we just lie down and sleep in peace, no matter how many enemies are arrayed against us. You may think, well, it's all very nice that God has delivered me from bondage to sin, but I live in a broken world and creation is in ruins, and there's so much darkness and oppression and pain and brokenness and such devastation, where do you begin? How do we start to repair the ruins? And the Lord Jesus comes to us and says, listen, you need to look up, because I have good news for you. I have broken the bonds of death. I've destroyed the power of sin. I've delivered you from all the power of the devil. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning because as you sit here in the ruins of this groaning and creation, this creation and bondage to decay, know this, that I am coming. I am coming to make all things new. I'm coming to wipe every tear from your eye. I'm coming to destroy sin and its consequences forever. I am coming to throw death itself into the lake of fire. I am coming with the day of vengeance to usher in the eternal year of the Lord's favor. That's our hope. No human prince, no human government, no human program will ever achieve a better world. But God will. And the Lord will keep his word. He will keep his promise. The oppressed will see God's justice. The captives he sets free. The hungry will be fed. The blind will see. He will lift up the afflicted and crown them with mercy. The vulnerable and the oppressed he will protect. The beginning of that work is happening right now as he ministers to the world through the church. And the fullness of that work will be ushered in when Jesus returns in glory in the clouds of heaven, bringing with him a new world.
And so by the power of his spirit, let our mourning and despair and our groaning be transformed into joy and hope and praise. Praise him who forever reigns. Zion's children sing his Lord. Hallelujah. Praise your God. Amen.